Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we're talking about a subject that I know is really important to so many of you listening to this podcast. We're going to talk about the three stages of relapse and how to protect your sobriety once you've gotten some sober momentum going, once you've gotten a couple weeks, a couple months, even a year or more alcohol-free. So my guest today is Angela Pugh. You might know her from the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Angela, after bartending her way across Hollywood and Beverly Hills, was in over her head with a drinking problem that was relentless. She got sober in 2006 and dedicated her life to helping others do the same. Angela has spent the last 15 years working in addiction and recovery as an interventionist and a trainer, and now serves as a master life coach, host of the Nationally Ranked Addiction Unlimited podcast, national speaker, and entrepreneur. And Angela, welcome. Hi, Casey. Thank you so much for having me. 
Yeah, you're so welcome. I reached out to you because I heard you talk on this subject about the three stages of relapse. And it's so important, both as a topic and for people to recognize what's happening in their sobriety so they can intervene before they dive back in the drinking cycle. Yeah, I always think this topic is so important because you hear so many people say like, oh, I ended up with a drink. I don't even know how I got there. I don't even know how it happened, you know? And really the truth is there are all of these things happening before you ever end up with a drink even in your hand. And to be able to step in and like you said, intervene before you get the drink in your hand is really powerful when you're trying to, I love what you said, some sober momentum. You know, when you're trying to get that sober momentum, you have to recognize these pieces and know how to keep it from getting out of control. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved when I heard you discuss it, and I know you're going to dive into it and teach us about this, but how there are three phases, the emotional, the mental, and the physical. And also how important it is to reach those milestones like one year and five years because your ability to maintain sobriety just goes up exponentially once you hit those big milestones. Yeah, for sure. I think the importance to me of that first year is really there are so many firsts in the first year because we're doing all of these things with a clear mind, right? Which we, most of us haven't done in a long, long time. So when you get through that first year, it's getting through all of the celebrations, birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, the seasons, and all the different things that come with all the seasons. You really have to get where you're standing on solid ground with those basics, you know, and it is all that stuff kind of comes at you from every direction. So the first year is huge. And I hear people say a lot too, where they're like, one year, especially when you have a lot of years, people will kind of minimize themselves when they hit the year. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like that first year is major. <laughs> yeah, know? the like, first 30 days. Are oh, the first 30 bad. days. But I think I was still in shock at 30 days for sure. I was still kind of in shock. Like, am I really doing this? You know, because I had never been committed to anything other than drinking. So for me at 30 days, 60 days, 90 days to see myself committed and showing up every day and continuing to do it day after day was shocking because I hadn't done that with anything else. I mean, I think in my experience as well, the first time I sort of actually tried and got support and got a period of time without alcohol I probably got about four months and then I got pregnant. So I was alcohol free for a year, but I am pretty positive that four months in I would have drank had I not gotten pregnant because I was already starting to do that like slow shuffle away from my commitment to, oh my gosh, I need to stop drinking from the people that I had reached out to for support, the starting to rationalize that whole emotional mental piece that you're going to tell us about. And that is so important to recognize because I went back to drinking and two years later, I was back in the same place of being like, 
oh my God, I need to stop drinking. This is important. And I remember distinctly that the people who I started with the first time, the people I talked to who were also in early sobriety, we were in a group together, one of those online secret communities. And I was deep back in the drinking cycle. I was hung over on my couch with my kids feeling, you know, so tired and so mad at myself. And I saw a picture of the group I started with and they were in a gratitude group and they were in San Francisco at a meetup and they were biking across the Golden Gate Bridge and drinking tea and riding cable cars. And in this group was actually Catherine Gray, the author of The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, which a lot of people know. And I was just like, I could be with them. And instead, I'm on my couch in the same place, saying the same horrible things to myself. And I feel like if I might have recognized these three stages and caught myself in the emotional piece or the mental piece, I might not have gone back to drinking and found it so hard to pull myself out of that physical relapse. Yeah, you know, there are some pretty common spots that things can get tricky And 30 days is one of them, right? When you get around that three to four week mark, it can definitely be a little bit tricky. Your mind will start playing tricks on you. You can start second guessing yourself a little bit. You're feeling better. You're getting your energy back. Your head will kick in and start going, "Mm, maybe we weren't that bad. Was it really that bad? Especially if you have some family members telling you you weren't that bad. Like, really? You think you have to quit? Like, I don't think you were that bad. You know, your mind can really play some tricks on you. And for me, like I do, I have a coaching program just like you do, right? My coaching program is six weeks, but it started as four weeks. I extended it because that three to four week mark is such a tricky spot for people. But I feel like if you know that going in and you know to kind of be aware of that spot and you can plan around it and maybe plan some extra events, plan some extra meetings or meetups, like whatever your thing is, put some things in place to protect yourself, right? The other thing you said that is a tricky little spot is you said four months. And at four months, you were already starting to rationalize, but you got pregnant, which kept you alcohol free. But four months is a huge little spot where people can fall off. And this is with anything. They say four to six months is when the newness of something starts to fall off, right? This is relationships, new jobs, any of that. So those first four months, you can be on top of the world. Again, like you're feeling better. Your energy is good. You're doing the meetups and drinking the tea and doing the bike rides. And It's fascinating, right? Because we've been in this dark hole for so long. But when that newness starts to wear off, you start going, well, like, is this it? And I had the same experience at four months. I just started to get a little squirrely. Like, is this really all I'm doing for the rest of my life? Like, this is like, this is sobriety. Like, I'm really happy to not drink, but there's got to be something more, you know? So yeah, that's a pivotal point too. that four to six months, the newness wears off. But you have to know again, understand that that is coming and plan accordingly to protect your sobriety. Yeah, I completely agree because I feel like if you know there's a dip coming, 
it takes you definitely less by surprise, right? You're mm-hmm. like, oh, this is part of the process. And then I get the lift again. Um, I completely agree with you about 30 days. I always, when I work with my clients, try to make them the initial goal to be 100 days because I find so many people, you know, I'm sure myself included, you get to 30 days and you're like, oh, that wasn't that hard. Forgetting the 100,000 day ones you had before that or all the times you got to day five and drank again. But you're like, I did 30 days. I can probably drink again and then just do 30 days again whenever I need to. So that's a tricky piece. And then I love that you said the newness wears off because I find that, you know, initially it's really hard and then you're proud of yourself. And then at some point you're sort of like, quote unquote, over the sobriety thing. You don't want to listen to the podcast or think about it so much or you know, there's this like empty bit of time between like when your life was dominating with drinking and trying to stop drinking and then sort of not yet the full happy life. And that empty time when you're sort of over it, if you can look at it as actually a positive thing, meaning like, great, this is no longer dominating my life. Now is the time when I get to bring in other things that interest me and excite me without losing that sober foundation of that being what enables you to expand your life in happy ways. That's okay. But if you're like, like you said, it's so common to be like, this is it. I mean, I'm glad I'm not hungover, but I'm a little bit bored or restless. Like if you can look at it as like, this is great. I have free time and energy. Now, what am I going to do with it? You know? Yeah. And I got really excited. Like, I got really excited at the prospect of having a clear mind and really having a lot of power to create whatever life I wanted. And that's where my focus shifted, right? So where, you know, I did traditional 12 steps. I went to a meeting every single day for years, right? I did not miss a meeting for years. Like I was so serious about not drinking. Like alcohol was not going to get me no matter what. (laughs) And that four month mark, right? When I started to get a little restless, that's when I realized like, okay, every single thing I do doesn't have to be about not drinking. Like this is when I can venture out exactly like you said and start adding other things. This is when I can start looking at those, you know, what we call in 12 steps, character defects, right? Whether it's codependence or anxiety or people pleasing, not setting boundaries, not advocating for yourself, whatever your things are. We all have all of those things, by the way. But (laughs) that's when I really got to go, okay, what do I want the next phase of my life to look like? This is a new version of me. Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in my life? How do I want to be known? And I started learning to be on time, which I had never done before and in managing my time properly. So I could do that, right? I started figuring out how to be dependable because that was also something that had never been important to me before. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I wanted people to know if I tell you I'm going to show up, I'm going to show up. If I say I'm going to call, I'm going to call. If I say I'm going to be there, I'll be there. But I wanted to kind of create that safety because I had never been that person before. 
So I got to start working on those other things. And that's when it got really fun because I realized how much power I had. I was like, oh my gosh, I can have any kind of life I want. I can be any kind of person I want. All I have to do is pick it, you know, pick what quality I want to have and start working on it. And I can be anything. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48, so if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Yeah, I remember that too, because I'd gotten so used to saying I was going to do something. I'm going to take a break from drinking. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to work out every day. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And then just quitting on myself. And it had become such a habit in my life. And when I stopped drinking the last time, I hired a sober coach and I did all the work. And the, I remember specifically because I quit drinking on February 18th and April 24th was my son's birthday. And I had said a million times I was going to run a 10K. I hadn't run one in like six years. And I started training for it when I stopped drinking. And the race was on April 24th. So just over two months after I stopped drinking, 
I was doing it by myself. I didn't have a group or a friend or anything. And I got up early. It was raining in Seattle. I ran the 10K slowly, you know, but I didn't walk. That was my entire goal. And I was almost in tears crossing the finish line. And the recurring thought going through my head was, I am now a person who does what I say I'm going to do. And that was just tingles. You know what I mean? You just gave me chills when you said it. Yes, I know that feeling so well. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you become, like for me, I was always so stuck in that less than and all the ways that I wasn't good enough. I wasn't like those people. I, can, I can't do what those people can do. You know, they were raised differently or have whatever. I was always less than in everything. And to all of a sudden be becoming a person who was doing all those things that I never thought I was capable of. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. That's how you get self-esteem, right? Which I also never had. <laughs> and stopping drinking is one of the hardest things you will ever do for all the reasons, right? It's physically addictive. Yes. It surrounds us. It's an emotional habit, all the reasons. But once you're able to walk away from that and feeling empowered, you truly do feel like you can do anything. For sure. A hundred percent. But I think staying stopped is yes far more difficult than stopping. Yeah. You know? Because you can, like, we all have that sort of rock bottom moment, whatever that might look like, but everybody has the moment that they go, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. And that's when you're reaching for the podcasts and the online communities and hiring us as coaches, right? Everybody has that moment. That's like, I can't do this. Doing dry January or dry July or alcohol-free April, sober October, recovery month. I mean, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I think there's one year, no beer. I mean, there's a million of them. Yes. And when you're doing those things, your motivation is super high, right? Because something happened. Something happened to make you go, wow, I can't do this anymore. So of course your motivation is going to be high to stop. But to stay stopped is a whole different monster. Yeah. To stick to it when it doesn't feel good, when you're not getting a little rush from it and you're not like uh, just on cloud nine because you have some energy and you woke up without a headache Right. When that wears off and it's like, oh, wait, I have to keep doing this because I don't feel good today and I'm tired today and I don't want to today. Yeah, that's far more difficult is staying stopped. Yeah. And getting the tools that that we're going to dive into right now are so important and just the awareness, because a lot of times, you know, I know that um, there is in 12 steps and other places, the idea of one day at a time, right? Like you need to stay alcohol free. Sometimes it's, it's put forth as a struggle kind of every day to not drink. In my experience and what I've seen is it's not a struggle every day. Once you get away from the beginning part, right? You, a good deal of the time in your first six months in your first year will just be navigating life alcohol free, right? Mm-hmm. You built that habit, you built that identity, you have new coping tools. And there will absolutely be moments when you are going to want to drink or moments when you start rationalizing drinking or start thinking this is all too hard or starting, you know, in, in when you've talked about this sort of the bargaining and the planning only on vacation or maybe here. And it's in those moments that you almost just need to do 
a heavy lift. Go back to your tools. Go back to the beginning. Because the good news is if you don't drink in those moments, if you use other tools, it again is not a daily struggle. It, you will cruise for a little while as long as you keep your foundations. And the amount of people who relapse, go back to using, is higher certainly in the first year. And then it goes down from there. I was looking up the stats and it, you know, once you reach five years alcohol free, your chance of drinking again are less than 15%. So yeah. 85% of people who reach five years don't drink again. And, you know, they talk about, and you might have the stats on earlier in the years. I, I'm looking at some that say, you know, 21% relapse in their second year, 10% years three through five. I've got to look through exactly what it is. You might have different numbers, but the big work is to get through that first year. And I wonder the number of people in those stats who drink again in the first month, in the first three months or four months, because making it past those milestones, it gets easier. Yeah, for sure. And it is, they say, after the first year of recovery, the likelihood of maintaining sobriety increases to 50%. Because, you know, it's only, I mean, you have to be realistic about this. We are such a small piece of the population, truly. Only 10% of the population has any kind of compulsion issues, whatever you want to call it. And of that 10% of the whole population, only 10% of those seek help. Mm. And of those 10%, only 10% of those will stay sober long-term. So, I mean, the numbers aren't good. And that doesn't mean that people don't finally at some point get sober and stay sober because a lot of people do. The point is that the faster you get in the process of really trying and figuring this thing out and figuring out what tools work for you, the faster you get in that process, the faster you're going to get to the place that it sticks. Yeah. I was talking with Dr. Harrison, who had a podcast called In Recovery. And one of the things that she said that really resonated with me is the idea of early intervention, right? With breast cancer, you have sort of stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. You do early screening for diabetes and a whole host of other things. You don't have to get to stage four or severe alcohol use disorder before you decide to start using tools to help yourself move away from that addiction. And one of the stats that she put forth is that 75% of people who struggle with alcohol use disorder do recover. And what what percent of the 10% or whatever that is, I'm sure we can break down and find it out. But the idea is that the earlier that you say, okay, my relationship with alcohol is problematic, this substance is addictive, and it's going nowhere good. I don't think anyone who's been in the drinking cycle doesn't believe it's progressive, right? The sooner you jump off the train, not only the easier it is, but the more likely you're going to lead a healthy, happy life without it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, one of my other favorite stats on this stuff too is that the the rates of recovery and people getting sober and staying sober, the numbers are the same regardless of what path you take. 
Mm. Regard whether you go to treatment, don't go to treatment, go to AA, don't go to AA. The the numbers are the same, right? The success rates are kind of the same no matter what you do. And I love that because everything doesn't work for every person. And now we're in this beautiful time that there are all of these options. And one of the greatest things that has changed, certainly in the last five years, for sure, is people are quitting much earlier on that spectrum, right? And I think 12-step programs are really, you know, really came up and thrived for a, a hardcore alcoholic person like myself. I drank every day of my life. I drank enough for five people every day of my life. It was my whole life. I was a bartender. I was the quintessential party girl. It's what I did. And my rock bottom moment was really drastic. So I had a very low bottom, right? I mean, I crashed my car. I thought I killed someone. It was horrific. So my motivation to quit drinking was super high. Now, I had a very high-functioning life, you know, high-functioning and rock bottom don't have anything to do with each other. I feel like they get confused a lot. People are like, oh, that never happened to me. I've never had a DUI. I never did that. Like, that doesn't have anything to do with anything. You just haven't gotten there yet, right? It took me 14 years of driving drunk to get a DUI. It didn't make me less of an alcoholic, right? It didn't Mm -hmm. make my relationship with alcohol healthy because I hadn't had a DUI. But people are just stepping off of that train so much earlier. But I think it's also what causes some of the problems with staying sober too. Because like I said, my rock bottom was so drastic. My motivation to stay sober was so high. I was absolutely willing to do anything. All I cared about was not drinking. And it was my primary focus for a very long time. Whereas when people are stepping out of the game earlier without major consequences, you're always going to have that rationalization or justification. Was I that bad? Was it really, you know, I didn't have all those bad things happen to me. Like my family's not mad at me. I still have a job. You know, it's harder to understand that you can get to the low bottom place if you want to keep going. (laughs) It's there waiting for you if you want to keep going. (laughs) But it, but it's challenging. And that's where that emotional part of relapse is, is all of those thoughts. And that's the first phase of this thing is all of those thoughts of starting to think about, God, a drink sounds good. A drink would really be good while I do this. I had somebody a while back in my Facebook group. She said, "Um, I'm really struggling today. We moved and I really want to have a nice cold beer while I unpack. And I was like, what the fuck does unpacking have to do with beer? You know, there's zero connection here. There's zero connection. It's just a habit, right? But when you have those thoughts, you have to communicate that to somebody. Yes. If your brain is kicking in and having some resistance and trying to argue with you about your choices, you have to talk about that. Because if you keep it to yourself, those thoughts are going to get bigger and bigger and they're going to get more powerful. And at some point they're going to win, right? So any of that, I also say, if you don't tell on yourself, I just did this earlier today. I was talking to a new client and she was talking about tequila and tequila was the love of my life, right? That was my drink of choice. And she said she had had a tequila and soda and my little brain went, oh, that's good. 
you know, because I never had a tequila and soda. I just drink tequila straight. And But my little brain is like, oh, that sounds so good. And I immediately reached out to one of my friends and I was like, you are not going to believe what my brain just said. You know, like you have to tell people because if you don't tell on yourself, what you're really doing is protecting your option to drink. If you don't create accountability for those thoughts and accountability for yourself, you're protecting your option to drink and you're already losing the battle at that point. Yeah. I mean, I think that having people who get it is and who won't enable you is really, really important. I was laughing when you said that because I remember I was like maybe 60, 80 days alcohol free. And I had met a couple local people in hip sobriety, which Holly Whitaker, who wrote Quit Like a Woman, started. And we went out to um, lunch. You know, I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm meeting sober friends. And one of them, seven years later, is my sober bestie. Our sobriety dates are, you know, two months apart. And another one I met, and she was fully rationalizing drinking. She's like, well, it's not a total problem for me, but, you know, I can still, you know, it just helps me relax with my kids, X, Y, Z. And in my mind, I'm like, nobody joins hip sobriety if it like is working incredibly well for you, right? Like, I also was like, um, I have plenty of friends who drink. I literally joined this group to meet people who don't drink and mm-hmm. are attempting to be alcohol free. But then what, what you're talking about is she said, yeah, I mean, I'm mostly doing it to lose weight because I used to drink wine, which I did. But then I found Tito's vodka and I figured out that I could drink Tito's vodka and still lose weight. And my mind literally went ding, ding, ding. I never tried vodka. Why don't I try vodka? And I went to Whole Foods and Tito's vodka was like right in front of me. And I was like, what the fuck is happening in my mind? Right. It was just that. So like you said, I called my now bestie Ingrid and I was like, all right, this is crazy. Here's where my mind went when she was talking about it. She was clearly rationalizing, bargaining, excusing, but like it triggered my mind. And so, you know, we were like, all right, until she's like committed, I don't think we should hang out because it sets me off with being like, well, maybe I can drink, you know? Yeah. And those are huge decisions that you have to make regularly through the course of your recovery. You have to make those decisions all the time. And they are so important. Like I want to surround myself with people who want to lift me up, not drag me down, right? In any sort of self-improvement, it doesn't matter if it's drinking. I mean, everything in my life doesn't revolve around not drinking anymore because I haven't had a drink in 17 years, right? Like I'm not, I don't crave drinks. (laughs) Like I don't, but I don't because I'm diligent in my work on myself to keep myself in a good, healthy space mentally, emotionally, and physically so that I don't crave drinking, right? I don't have things that I'm trying to escape from, I have built a life that I love and I have built myself to be a person who has tools and support systems and things I can utilize. So alcohol is not a solution for me anymore. But you want, it's the same thing in business. I want people who are going to support me in my journey. I don't want people who are going to tell me um, it's not that important or tell me, oh, you could never achieve that. Or why do you want to do that? Like, aren't you happy with what you have? Like, I hear that one from people a lot. And it's like, "Mm, I don't think we're going to be having lunch again. 
you know, because it's just not supportive. Yeah. And I think that that sometimes is hard. And this is what I love about finding people further along the path than you where you're like, yes, I love your energy and I admire you and I want to be where you are. And those people might not be your mother, your spouse, your uh, best friend from when you were little, because no matter what change you're going through, whether it's positive or something else, people get threatened when you change, right? For better or worse, something is working for them in the relationship that you have, or it's scary. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people's partners have said, well, what if you stop drinking? And you don't love me anymore, or I'm not interesting to you, or we don't have anything in common, you know, and they're almost like trying to pull you back, which doesn't mean you have to ditch them, but it does mean that you need to get other people in your life who are like, good for you. Seven Mm -hmm. days is incredible. 30 days is amazing. You are a badass so that you can keep improving. Yeah, it's not realistic to expect people to understand that just can't understand. And I feel like we do like to put some of that pressure on our families, whether, whether it's partners, spouses, parents, siblings, whoever it is, that we do have this expectation, like we want to pat on the back and we want them to be in the game with us. But the truth is they probably don't have the same thing, right? And they just don't get it. And and God bless them. Like, I'm so happy for anybody that doesn't get it. You know, <laughs> like, I don't want you to get it because it's a monster, you know, but it is unfair to be upset when the people closest to you don't get it. We just can't have those expectations of them, right? I need to go seek out the people who do get it and get that support there. And you can also, there's so many layers of things that happen with couples and And there is so much questioning, you know, and how are we going to have fun? And how is this going to affect our couple's life? How are we going to go out with other couples? Like, how are we going to connect? How is this going to affect our intimacy? Like, there are so many things that happen when one partner stops drinking. But there are also ways to renegotiate those relationships and compromise and figure out what this new version is going to look like, right? This is a new chapter. And that's really exciting, too. There are definitely some bumps, but man, it's really fun to create a whole new fresh thing. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective 
than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi is being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. And I can't tell you how many, I mean, you know, when you're drinking, there was so much I didn't tell my husband about my fears and what I was thinking and how much crap I told myself and how worried I was. I didn't tell him any of that because I didn't want him to know because I wasn't sure I was ready to stop. And so many of my clients have said, yes, there's a renegotiation period and it's awkward and there are a lot of fears, but get a little further. I feel understood and seen and supported in a way I never did before because I wasn't being real or honest. The other thing I think is that we have this crazy expectation that if we do something, our best friend or our partner needs to somehow do it too. And I always try to think like, if you decided to run a marathon, your husband doesn't have to also decide to run a marathon. Your best friend doesn't also have to decide to run a marathon. Like, right? you can do it on your own and that's incredible. Now, you're probably going to have to join a couch to 10K group. You might need to read stuff on the internet. You might want to buy a couple books or do a planner or whatever it is. And your spouse or best friend might need to support you, meaning not take the kids when you get up at 6 a.m. and pick you up when you run your first like 13 miler at the end of it. So they can support you. And you can find other people. They don't have to do it with you. And it doesn't mean your relationship is somehow less than. Right. It's also interesting how much people like we put so much energy into hiding our drinking and like how bad it is. We hide it from everybody. But then we want to be mad when they don't understand. Well, they don't understand how much I drink. Well, no, of course they don't. You hid it. (laughs) We love to keep that stuff to ourselves. Like, I wasn't telling my mom, like, hey, mom, let's go to lunch. By the way, I had 30 cocktails yesterday. You know what I mean? Like, we hide that stuff, but we can't, you don't get it both ways, right? If you hide it from them, you can't expect them to understand where you're really at. If you don't want to let them in, you can't be mad at them. Small comments like, well, I don't think you need to stop completely. Like, my husband didn't know that when he was going outside to do whatever, I was sprinting off the couch to get bottle number two to fill up my glass so he wouldn't know I drank more than a bottle of wine. So he's like, right. I think you need to stop completely. I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, see, that means I shouldn't stop drinking. My husband doesn't think I ever. Well, I mean, it's your mind is insane. So let's talk about you get sober momentum mm-hmm. and you have identified three stages of relapse there emotional, mental, and physical. Will you take us through each one of those? Yeah. And, you know, emotional and mental are pretty similar in some ways, but it is a lot of the stuff that we talked about a minute ago. Like it will start with that mental piece of just those thoughts creeping in. Maybe I could have a drink. Maybe I'll just do 30 days alcohol free and then I'll be okay. 
I could probably control it now. It's been a while since I've had a drink. I could probably control it. You know what? I'm just going to drink on special occasions. But all those thoughts, and you do, again, you have to tell on yourself, right? You have to talk to somebody about that and even have some laughs about it, but you have to get it out from inside of you. That's the main thing is get it out from inside of you so you have a little accountability. Also, when you talk about those things, it makes them much smaller and less powerful. It's not going to be nagging you. It's not going to be growing and getting bigger, right? So you have to talk about that stuff with whoever that might be. I'm always a big fan too of planning things in advance. If you and your husband are going to an event, if you're going to a wedding, you have a conversation before you go of what that's going to look like. What is your comfort level? How long are you going to want to stay? What if you get there and you're really uncomfortable? Like talk through those things. Like, hey, can we check in every 30 minutes and see what's going on? See how I feel. Like if this is really uncomfortable, I might want to go early. Do you need to drive yourself, right? Like you need to have those conversations in advance to also handle the mental piece of that and not letting those thoughts really start to overtake you, especially in a drinking environment, because it's really easy at that point too. It's right in front of you. Yeah, I completely agree. And you don't have to, if you're not ready to tell your spouse everything, because I wasn't, Yeah, um, i kind of wanted to ease him into it and also ease myself. So I just told him, Hey, I'm doing a hundred day, no alcohol challenge. He didn't believe me because I'd never made it, you know, past four days before I'd always be like, actually, it's been a hard day, a good day, bring me home a bottle of wine. But I did tell him I was doing that. And this time I had brought in support. He had no idea I hired a sober coach or did hip sobriety. But I also told him when things were going to be hard. Like I told him, this is hard for me. You know, I love wine. So like, can we have no wine in the house? Like mm-hmm. I just, if it's here, I'll drink it. You know that let's not have it. Or we would, you know, he'd suggest like, Hey, let's go out to this new brewery on our date night. And I'd be like, Oh babe, I'm still doing my no alcohol challenge. Can we go to a coffee shop with live music or let's go to sushi because I didn't like sake, whatever it was. Um, Or even being like, oh, yeah, I'm not drinking and I get tired. You know, it's not that much fun hanging out with people who are drunk. So I might leave early or I have an early morning running club. Like you can plan in advance and get help and support without bearing your soul to someone you're not ready to or who wouldn't understand. That's so true. And I think that is the easiest way for most people, right? Like I didn't lay all the ugly details on my family from day one. You know what I mean? Like they would have had a heart attack. Uh, (laughs) But it's also, you have to remember too, that your perspective on things is going to change so much also, especially in those first 90 days. How you feel on day one is you're going to be a whole different human at day 30 and another whole different human at day 60 and day 90. So your perspective And the details that you're worried about at day one are going to look very different. You're not going to have the same worries. You're also going to connect more dots as you stay sober and you look back on what you were doing. I always laugh when people do their free consultation call with me and they spend that time really minimizing their drinking habits, you know, like they're trying to give me all the reasons that they don't have a drinking problem. And listen, all I say is you don't end up on the phone with me because shit's going well. You know what I like? That's just the truth. Nobody hires a sober coach. No, it's like, no, drinking's working really well out for you. 
Yeah. And by day 45, they're talking a whole different game. You know, they're starting to understand, oh my gosh, I just realized I went to this event with my family. Normally I would walk in, my husband would take the kids and all I would be doing is looking for where the beer is. Like that was my focus in that. You know, like you just start to understand things in a different way. So trying to explain everything at day one or even day 30 is not even, it's going to be so different, you know, from that point forward. So yeah, you can also be private, like you're figuring things out. It's also okay to just not know. It's okay to say, I'm not really sure what this is going to look like or how it's going to be but I'd really appreciate your support on the journey and I'll keep you posted. You know, I'll let, as I learn, I'll fill you in, but it's okay to not have all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers early on. You know, when I go to things, I'm literally setting up my exit as I'm saying hello. So I'm going in, I'm giving hugs. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. I can't stay long, but I'm so glad we're getting to catch up. I'm already setting it up that I'm going to be heading out soon because I'm just not going to sit there with my drinking friends. God bless them. They're fantastic. But once they're like three drinks in, I'm Oh my out. gosh. They get really loud and annoying. And they repeat themselves. Like they just say the same things over and over again and they get so loud. I was, I was camping this last weekend on this sort of group of five family's camping trip that I've gone on literally for 20 years, like pre-kids, with kids. It's the highlight every year. One of the women who I adore, who's been my friend for 20 years, was as big a drinker as I was, you know, apparently did not drink a bottle of wine every night of the week. I thought she did. Apparently she didn't, but, um, but was drinking a lot of wine and she just got really so loud. It was like hurting my ears. And I was just like, I would have been right there. <laughs> like that would have yeah. been me. Um, but yeah. one thing when you were talking about sort of the bargaining or the slow shuffle back, I think that's what I said is I've worked with clients who are like, all right, I'm going to be sober for a hundred days. And then suddenly, you know, it's two months before Thanksgiving and they're like, well, maybe I'll just start drinking at first Christmas, right? Maybe I'll just start drinking at Christmas. And then suddenly it's like, maybe I'll just start drinking at Thanksgiving. And then one of my clients was like, maybe I just want seasonal sobriety. And I was just like, oh my God, you're already planning to drink, which means your reward for not drinking is to drink, which means your brain is already lit up. With that, you're not able to focus on romanticizing sobriety and building new coping skills. You're just holding on. And I think that's where you talk about sort of the stages of relapse, the thoughts being like, it won't be any fun if I don't drink over Christmas, or it will be too hard. I'll fail anyway. Or, you know, you know what? I'll just be sober to here. And get in a really good shape and then drink and then start again in January, you know? Yeah. The unfortunate part is it can get so much more complicated when you drink. You know, that's also a thought process of thinking that you can drink without consequences, which often isn't the case either. Like I said, I drank and drove drunk 14 years before, 13 or 14 years before I ever got a DUI, right? So what if I would have been in that? little roller coaster ride, that yo-yo sobriety, as I call yeah. it, you know, quitting and starting. And then I get a DUI and then I was in the legal system. And that was really challenging. 
that was a game changer, you know? And once I was in the legal system, my life got extremely uncomfortable and which, you know, is what it's intended to do. But you think like, maybe I'll have seasonal sobriety. Well, that sounds really cute. But what if you get some consequences that aren't so easy to bounce back from? I had a client a couple of years ago that was at the camping trip and tripped and fell into the campfire and burned herself severely. And she was coming off. She was relapsing uh, after a hundred and something days sober, right? So it's easy to rationalize this in a way like it's so simple and this won't be a big deal and I can always start over. But, you know, you might start over with a very different set of circumstances. And even if you don't, starting over is not easy. I literally Mm. went back to drinking and it took me 22 months to stop again. And it's not like I was having a great time that whole time. I was not. I was writing myself all the crappy letters. I was worried about my mental health. I was angry and unhappy with my life, even though my life was good. And, you know, my marriage, I thought was crap or whatever it was, right? So it's just not that easy. And you are gonna have bad days. But drinking because you have a problem just guarantees that tomorrow is going to be harder than today. You know, where it's otherwise, yeah. and your problem up. is probably going to be yeah. worse. You're not solving for it. It's either yeah. worse or you've just put your head in the sand and added a hangover. Oh, God, I do not miss hangovers. But I think you're exactly right on the coming back. And I think it's one of the main reasons I didn't relapse because I was sitting in meetings every day. And first of all, I thought once everybody got to AA, I didn't know people relapsed, right? I thought like once you walked through that door, like you were really done. So I thought we were all non-drinking people at that point, you know, and I'm sitting in meetings every day and hearing people talk about relapsing. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And I was a bartender and I'm like, people, if I am bartending and staying sober, I'm not sure what the hell you're doing over there, you know? <laughs> and of course, I didn't know anything back then. Like, I understand it this many years in and all the education and all of that. I understand it much better now. And there are so many different factors at play. But I was so terrified to relapse because I just felt uncertain that I would make mm-hmm. it back. My drinking had gotten so dark. And there was no fun left. You know, it was really a survival situation for me. And when I would think about the prospect of relapse, I was like, I don't know if I would make it. I don't know if I could get sober again. And that's one of the things, one of the thoughts that really kept me so dedicated. And all of these years later keeps me so dedicated because I'm terrified at what that would look like. You also tend to, when you take breaks from drinking and go back, you drink worse. That's the progressive part. And I had taken a couple of breaks over the years. Once I quit for 30 days, once was a 60 day, neither time with the intention of quitting forever, but really just the typical thing we do. I just need to take a step back. I'm I'm just overdoing it. Yeah. I just need to take a break for a minute and then I'll be good. Um, So I did that twice. And each time when I drank again, I drank way worse than I had drank before. And that thought also terrified me because I couldn't imagine like 
what that would look like. You know, if I relapsed, I was like, I don't know. Like, I definitely, I don't want to find out what that would look like because I was a hot mess as it was. (laughs) Like, I couldn't imagine what worse would look like. Well, and the other thing, I mean, I know that most people, the stat I've read is that it takes on average people like seven years from the first time you're like, yikes, I may have a problem to like getting to the point where you're like, okay, I'm stopping for good. Um, every person is different, of course, but I feel like every time you do take a break, or at least for me, so I stopped for that year, magically, my life got better, go figure, right? I was happier. I was more content. I was more calm. My marriage was better. Of course, I was like, I'm fixed now. It was situational. I drank too much, right? Like I was just had a bad boss and my husband wasn't as helpful and whatever, right? That it was, it was just... It was just a situation. I'm better now. I started drinking again, of course, with the goal to moderate, right? I'm fixed. Very quickly went back to a bottle of wine a night. I mean, maybe it took a couple months every night, often more. And then the second time I got to the point, the same point of being worried about my mental health, feeling doomed, feeling like I couldn't cope with life, beating myself up waking up at 3 a.m., not communicating with my husband. The second time I was like, oh, it's the alcohol. Like there was no illusion that it was my job or my relationship or whatever. I was like, oh no, the way I feel, it's the alcohol. So that second time, you know, they say recovery ruins you for drinking. I had no more excuses or illusions. I was like, so now I look occasionally at alcohol and I'm like, yeah, I used to love that. That looks good. I mean, I go to Italy and I'm like, yep, that looks fun. But it's not worth it to me because I know where it takes me. And it's not a happy place. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, It's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com.
www.thelifeofthecoach.com. You can start at any time and I would love to see you in the course. It's not fun the way I do it. (laughs) I mean, it was the first 10 years, you know, (laughs) I did have a lot of years. Right. Yeah. I had a lot of years that I drank and I had a great time. Now, I won't tell you that I love those years because I really wasted a decade of my life doing absolutely nothing. Right. I did nothing. I didn't accomplish anything. I wasn't growing as a human being. Right. It was just a wasted decade. But it was a lot of fun. It took me a long time to get out of control. But once I got out of control, or once you hit that out of control spot, there is no going back. You can't turn a pickle back into a cucumber. It just doesn't work. You know, and people will say, well, I'm not sure if I have a problem. Or you'll hear this in AA sometimes. People are like, well, I'm just trying to figure it out. And it's the same thing like you and I were talking about. Like you don't end up on the phone with me if you're doing it well. Like nobody wakes up one day and is like, you know what? I think I'm going to stop by that AA and see how those people are doing. Like you don't end up in that room without a ton of agony, number one, because nobody wants to go there. That's why we say we're the last house on the block. Nobody wants to go there. So if you end up, you're in the place that you have agonized over it, you have cried about it. You have gotten humble enough to go. You've looked up a meeting, you've driven there, and you've walked in the door. Guess what? Oh, I tried to minimize it even when I went. Like, I was like, oh, this girl seems pretty cool. She wants to take me. I literally was like, well, bucket list. Never thought I'd walk into an right. AA meeting. I mean, so I hear you and I totally agree. But dude, you can rationalize anything. I was like, checking this off the bucket list like paragliding. So crazy. Our brains are crazy. So emotional stage of relapse. I always think of that as when you start thinking like in my mind, this is all too hard. Like it may not be about drinking specifically, but it's like, I feel overwhelmed. I feel like I can't cope. I feel like nobody appreciates me, no one's helping me, or like pulling back from tools, right? I I always think of that like emotional green zone that you're trying to keep yourself in calibrating. And when you go too high or too low for too long, how do you describe that emotional phase of relapse? Well, this to me is a lot about self-care. You know, so many of the things that we're doing in this process really come down to basic self-care. And we haven't taken care of ourselves for so long, especially as moms and wives and employees, right? Like everything comes before you. (laughs) Everything is more important. The housework, the laundry, dinner, the grocery shopping, right? Like those things are not negotiable. Bedtime, bath time, homework, all of it comes first. And what happens is everything you said we is exactly right. We get in that almost victim mindset. This is happening to yes. me. I don't have support. This isn't working. I don't feel good. And what it comes down to is really we're not taking care of ourselves. We're not recharging. So you go through your day and you're giving, 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 and it's all these withdrawals. And you're not taking any time to make deposits. 
And then if you've already had that mental part where you've had some thoughts and now you're starting to feel bad and feel sorry for yourself and you're feeling a little sad. And when we feel sad, we get really wrapped up in that. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I'm depressed. What am I going to do? And it's like, okay, we don't have to go all the way down that rabbit hole either. We can stop and, and really take some actions to stop this in its tracks. Like you don't have to keep spiraling down that emotional rabbit hole, but it is recharging your battery, whatever that looks like for you. It is replenishing your resources that you've given all out to the whole rest of the world. You have to do things, right? This is where we talk about meditation, journaling, exercising, right? Exercise is more efficient than any anti-anxiety or antidepressant medication. But there are way more people taking pills than there are at the gym, you know, or, or on the hiking trails. Like we have to be doing those things to replenish those resources that we've given to everybody. And a lot of that is about boundaries too, right? Like saying huge, this is important for me to take care of myself. And therefore some of this other stuff is going to have to be renegotiated or recalibrated, or I need to bring in more resources. I mean, I remember when I was in early sobriety, even kind of negotiating with my husband, um, I started seeing a therapist once a week. And so I was like, all right, on these days, you're going to have to pick up both kids and get them dinner and X, Y, Z. And he was not used to that. He stepped up, but he was like, how long are you going to need to see this therapist? And I was like, oh my fucking God, you coach baseball for four months every year. And I do this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You have to really put yourself first because nobody else is going to do it. And nobody else can make those deposits. You have to do that for yourself. And people, women especially, you know, we're we're taught really to be people pleasers at such a crazy level. And then if you're a mom, forget it. You're going to be a people pleaser because everything you do revolves around these little humans. Like nothing, no piece of time is yours anymore. No piece of energy is yours anymore. It all belongs to these little people. And you just get stuck in that thing and it starts to feel really hard to say no to things, to decline invitation. You feel like you're being a bad friend or a bad parent. You know, if you don't do the field trip or the PTA meeting or whatever the things are. I'm not a parent, obviously, but feel bad. You know, if they say, Hey, can you bake some cookies for this thing? And you know, you don't really have time, but you feel guilty saying no, like you're being a bad parent. But truly, this is a perspective thing because you know what? If your kid had a volleyball tournament that they had to be to and you were going to be gone, you wouldn't feel bad saying no. So those tournaments and those activities, if your mom needed a ride to the doctor's office, you wouldn't feel bad saying no, right? Like these things are priorities, but when it comes to ourselves, all of a sudden it's not a priority and we feel Yeah, guilty. I think just, I even have like a formula for like how to say no. And it's mm -hmm. like five steps. I'll link to it in the show notes of this show, but it's a muscle to be exercised and you can start exercising it on smaller things, things that aren't as high stakes, and it gets easier. You'll feel uncomfortable. Then you'll see the world didn't end and people were okay with it. And then you can move on to something else. But you should be saying no to three things a week that you're asked to do just for practice. 
I think you also get so much reward when you say no, you feel so good. Like that conversation, certainly the first time you do it, it is a little awkward because it's new, you know, <laughs> like it is a little bit uncomfortable. You're like, oh my gosh, should I really be doing this? I feel bad. This is terrible. But then you have that reward of, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I didn't do that because I really don't have the time. Like I couldn't have fit that in my schedule. So that feels really good too. And you do have a sense of accomplishment of, oh man, I'm so glad I did that. Like, look at me growing up. Like that's impressive, you know? Yeah. And I think the other thing there is just suggesting alternatives, right? Someone asks you to do X, you say, oh, actually I can't, but what about why? Two weeks from now, let's have brunch. I can't. I hope right. you have the best birthday. I know it's going to be fantastic. I'm not going to be able to make it. But two weeks from now, how about we have brunch? I'd love to put it on the calendar. What it, I mean, it doesn't have to be that. So I think with the emotional phase of relapse, the most important thing you can do once you get sober momentum is start identifying what emotion you're feeling, right? Especially if you're like, I want to drink. Second question is why? What emotion am I feeling that I think drinking will help? And it can be like, I'm unpacking at a new house. I feel like I deserve a reward or I want to mark this moment or, you know, if I've been moving for two days and I'm exhausted, then whatever emotion that is, you're like, all right, how can we celebrate? Do we sleep in sleeping bags in the living room tonight with Chinese food or do I go take a nap or, you know what I mean? There are various things you can mm -hmm. do. Yeah. I think emotions are so hard in early sobriety to identify them is so hard because we have drank through them for so long. So identifying them is hard, but then to articulate them is really hard too. And I, one of the things I did really early on is I just kept it very simple. I was mad, sad, glad. That's it. Like, that's where I started identifying. Like, where do I fall? One of these three. Mad, sad, glad. Where am I? Because you want to get in. There's so many words now, you yeah. know, and we're overwhelmed. And you know, there's all these things. It's like, that's just too complicated. Oh, my God. I'm thinking of my daughter beginning. when she was in first grade. It was like red, yellow, green. Every day they'd come in and be like, where are you? <laughs> yeah. But you have to just start small. Like you don't have to be able to identify right off the bat that you're in fear or you know, that your feelings were hurt or your ego was bruised. Like whatever that, that we don't have to be able to get that deep at the beginning. But that's what I did. I just started mad, sad, glad. And those were my kind of buckets. And I'd be like, okay, where am I right now? Where do I fit? And what can I do to make it different or just sit in it? Right. Am I okay? I always tell my clients, I'm like, it's going to be uncomfortable, but nobody on the planet has ever died from being uncomfortable. We can survive uncomfortable. I was very uncomfortable in my drinking and I was willing to go through it yeah. then. So why wouldn't I be willing to be uncomfortable for my recovery? Oh my God. Keeping life going while drinking, losing all those hours and being hungover, like that is hard. That is determining nightmare. I mean, yes. Yes. And you have to remember you have those qualities yes. too, right? Like we have the ability to be committed to something because I was committed to my drinking unlike anything else on the planet, right? You can be the same way in your recovery or in your professional life or in your relationship. 
you have that ability in you. Don't convince yourself that this is so hard or you can't do it because you absolutely can. Yeah. When people are like, I have no willpower. I'm like, damn girl, you have amazing willpower because look at the way you've been living. Like that is, that is dedication, you know? So you have the emotional phase of relapse and the, in that, when you start feeling that way, self-care, right? Therapy, coaching, self-care, meditation, taking breaks, all that stuff. Is that the best way to kind of bring yourself to mad, set, glad, or even keeled? Well, you, I mean, you have to have support, right? I mean, this thing needs two things to thrive, right? It needs you to feel isolated and alone, and it needs you to feel bad about yourself. So when you get caught up in that emotional part, and then you don't want to talk to anybody about it, well, now you've just isolated yourself. Now you just put yourself in a position that you're alone. Every predator needs you to be alone. And alcohol is one of the best predators. So you've isolated yourself and put yourself in a space where you're alone. You never want to do that. And then all those thoughts are going crazy, which just makes you feel bad about yourself right? Like maybe I wasn't that bad. Maybe I'll just drink or like F it, you know, like this is dumb. You know, I've quit for two weeks. Like I can get two weeks again. I'm so tired of this. This just feels really bad right now. My job sucks. My husband sucks. Everything's hard. I don't have enough money. Oh my God. My favorite one that I hear is when people are trying to get out of the drinking cycle and they're like, sobriety sucks. And I'm always like, nope. Getting out of the drinking cycle sucks. Withdrawal sucks. Like where you are sucks. Like you don't even know what life without alcohol feels like. But then women will say to me, I'm tired of thinking about this. So I'm just going to drink because maybe then I'll stop thinking. And that is my God bargaining, right? Because the only way to stop having it dominate your life is to get away from it. But it's the only coping skill most people have used for years, right? So when you still view alcohol as your solution, you're in trouble. Like you have to, like you said, you knew alcohol was the problem. For me, when I sat in my life long before I had my car accident and had to stop drinking, when I looked at my life, I knew every single problem I had traced back to alcohol. There was no question. It was not my solution anymore. But if you're still in a mind space where alcohol is your solution, you're going to have a really hard time, right? Because it's not doing you any favors. And maybe at that point, you're just experimenting with other solutions. Just being like, hey, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you suspect alcohol is not helping you. And so maybe just say it's a coping mechanism, but I know it's a maladaptive one that's poisoning my body and X, Y, Z. How about I try a different one? How about I do 30 days, six weeks, a hundred days without it and see if therapy and yoga and walking and coaching and all this stuff feels better. And try a million things Yes, because everybody's toolbox is going to be a little bit different. And your own toolbox is going to change, right? Like I'm not doing all the same things today that I started with 17 years ago, right? And all the things that I'm doing today, literally on this day, those things will change a month from now. You know, I'll 
I might take a break from journaling and I might start a new visualization practice. Or, I mean, who knows? It It's just always evolving with you. I get bored with things, so I've got to switch to other things. But you have to figure out what works for you and you have to be willing to try different things. Even if it sounds dumb or you think, oh, I wouldn't like that. That won't work for me. The willingness is the important part. Just be willing to try. Maybe you won't like it. I went and did some photography things because I thought I would really enjoy photography. I don't enjoy photography at all, but I went, (laughs) but I went three times because I thought I would enjoy it. I have a lot of respect for it. I love it as an art. I just didn't love doing it. You know, it was too, there was too much setup. Yeah. I don't like meditation. I don't like meditation. I, I keep thinking that I should try it and I do sleep meditations when I go to sleep, but you know. A decade in, I'm like, yes, 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 I should meditate. Okay, let's talk about the physical part of relapse, right? Which is the last phase, emotional, mental, physical. When you're in it, how do you pull yourself out? This is a funny one because this is where, I mean, you're definitely in a danger zone at this point, right? This is like you're planning the trip to the liquor store or you're already there and you've got the drink or you're at the bar, whatever your thing is. You know, I did a whole episode about this is relapse a choice because people don't understand how many choices they have before they ever lift a bottle to their mouth, right? So I'll link to that. If you send me the link, I'll put it in the show notes because I bet that's really helpful. Yeah, because you do still have so much choice here. There are decisions to be made before you ever have a drink in your hand. You can choose to call someone. You can choose to go for a walk. You can choose to go to a meeting, whether that's in real life or online. You can choose to read a book. You can choose to call your favorite accountability person. You can choose to eat something, watch a movie, take a nap, take a shower. Like there are all of these things. I would say when you're at this place and you're really like ready to drink, you're about to drink at that point, the only thing that's really going to save you is connection. You really have to get connected because at that point you are so isolated and alone and you are feeling so crappy about yourself. Alcohol has already won the battle, but if you want to win the war, At that point, it's going to require connection. You need to call someone. That doesn't mean it has to be a sober someone. It could be one of your old best friends from college that you just call to distract yourself. I don't care what you talk about, (laughs) but you have to do something to take the weight of the thought process off of you, distract yourself, give yourself a moment to pause really think it through, release some of that angsty energy. I mean, laughing is one of the best things you can do, right? If you can call somebody that makes you laugh, do that, you know, because that will really give you a second to just get your shit together and decide if that's really what you want to do or not do. Yeah. I remember texting my bestie again, because we're only 60 days apart. And I got home one day and I was like, I really want to drink. So talk me out of it. Like I just was like, yep. And she, and she did, you know, and we yeah. texted back and forth for a while and half of it was laughing, you know, just being like, here's why this person is a dick, and, you know, whatever. And people think of reaching out, you know, quote unquote, for help. 
they think of it as this big dramatic event and they're like, oh, I don't want to have to call somebody and ask for help. Well, you don't have to call somebody and ask for help. You can reach out to somebody and just go, hey, how's your day? I'm in a shitty mood. Hope your day's going better. Tell me something good, right? It doesn't have to be, oh my God, I need help. Do something, save me. It doesn't have to be dramatic. It's just getting connected because that little alcohol part of your brain cannot thrive if you are connected and in a safe zone. Yeah. I mean, I remember too, I was driving home from work. I picked up my son at after school care. He was eight. I was on day 16. I was like practically in tears. I wanted to drink so much. It was Friday. And I just told him like, mom really doesn't feel good. I'm just sad. I just had a really bad day. And he said to me, mom, do you just want to like go home and get on the couch and cuddle and order pizza? And I was like, yes, that is, I mean, that was what I needed in that moment. And it's just telling someone like, dude, I don't feel good. I mean, what I wanted to do was pick up a bottle of wine, but I wasn't doing that right then, you know? Yeah, it is. Getting connected changes everything. It really does. And you know, logically that you don't want to drink, right? Like none of us are quitting drinking because we want to drink. (laughs) We know it's not serving us. We know it's better on the other side, but it can be uncomfortable and it definitely has its challenges. But life is very challenging. It's not sobriety. It's not recovery that's challenging. Life is challenging. Life is still going to be life. I just have to find new ways to cope with life (laughs) that don't involve drinking so I can do it successfully. Yeah, I love that you said that because a lot of times people will attribute everything to not drinking. And sometimes I know because you're not drinking. Sometimes life is hard. Yes. And it comes at you from every direction, especially when you're full blown adulting, right? Stuff is hard. It is hard. It is not a simple process. There's always something to take care of, to think about, to troubleshoot, to brainstorm, you know, to worry about if you want to worry about it. But yeah, life is just life. It's not hard because you're not drinking. It's just hard because it's life. This has been so helpful. Truly. I've loved this conversation. I know people are going to listen to it again and again. How can they follow up with you, learn more about what you you do find your podcast, which I adore. Tell us all the things. Thank you. Yeah. I'm on all social media at, at Addiction Unlimited, podcastaddictionunlimited.com. I would say really the best way to connect is in my Facebook group, which is also Addiction Unlimited. Um, it's so incredible and fun and there's so much support in there. And people at all levels of sobriety. I mean, we have people in there with decades of sobriety. We have plenty of people who are are on day one, you know, or in their first week. And it's just a really beautiful, loving, supportive place. And that's where I like to spend the majority of my time. Awesome. I love that. Well, send me the link to Is Relapse a Choice? Because I'd love to include that too. That would be a great thing for people to listen to after this. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Casey. It's been such a pleasure getting to spend time with you. I know. Same. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. 
If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.